Good morning. I made the mistake in the calendar of Sundays of normally we have a different person presiding to preaching, but I, I, things went wrong and I'm doing both today. So uh, that, what that means practically is I've got this roving mic, which you normally have for presiding, which means I can leave my lectern. <laughs> so I'm going to do a brief survey. And this is how the survey goes. You raise your hand with a question. Please raise a hand if you have ever hugged a tree. Hmm, it's quite high. I'd say that's 68, 69%. Please raise a hand if you know where the green man is on the walls of this church. Please raise a hand if you know where the green man is on the walls of this church. So that's actually very good. I'll call that 1%. I'll call that 1.5%. And finally, this is in two parts. This is about the name of the biggest company in the world. Who thinks it's Apple? Okay, that's 3.4%. Who thinks it's Amazon? Oh, that's very good, that's 8.9%. If you think it's Amazon, you're almost right. The biggest company in the world is a company of trees, and we know it as the Amazon. It's the rainforest, which is home to 390 billion trees, which is quite a lot. But still, it's only a fraction of all the trees. There are three trillion trees on Earth, and if we shared them out between all of us, not all of us in here, between all of us everywhere, we would have 420 trees each. Some people think that's too many, and we must reduce the number. So every year we cut down or we burn 15 billion trees. As we were hearing earlier, trees and other plants make life work for us. They produce oxygen and absorb our carbon dioxide. The Amazon rainforest, which is currently on fire, cleans the planet's air. It sucks up and sinks carbon dioxide from cars and planes, and it basically turns down the thermostat on the planet as we are turning up the thermostat. This talk is about trees, but parts of it have been recycled, and that's because we're finally coming to understand that everything meaningful is meant to be recycled. So this pot of Nutella, for example, it used to be a bunch of hazelnuts, like the one that you might be holding in your hand. But now it is a literary device to take us to a woman called Julian who lived in Norwich in 1342. Julian, like you, once had a potential tree in her hand, and the potential tree spoke to her. She was living at the time of the plague, which killed more than a quarter of the four million people who lived at the time in this country, in these islands. They thought she was going to die as well. Here she is. And a priest came along with the last rites, but then Julian perked up, and she started to feel better, and she started to see things. She started to have visions where Jesus Christ showed her things. These are known as showings, and they were so powerful that Julian decided to become an anchoress, living alone in a room attached to a church with only her cat for company. See, there's her cat. Now, this is a rare 14th century digital image. Julian mainly prayed and counseled people. People come from everywhere to talk to her because she was thought to be very wise. She was ahead of her time. For example, she used women's experience of motherhood to explore how God loves us, and she talked of Jesus as our mother. After 20 years reflecting on these visions she'd had, she wrote a book called The Revelations of Divine Love, and it was the first book written in English by a woman, and it revealed her as a mystic who met the divine presence in all things, 
Her most famous vision was of a hazelnut, like the one that you're holding in your hand. And Susie is going to read this little vision to us now. God showed me a little thing, the quantity of a hazelnut, lying in the palm of my hand. And to my understanding, it was as round as any ball. I looked upon it and thought, what may this be? And I was answered generally this way, it is all that is made. I marvelled how it might last, for I thought it might fall into nothing because of its littleness. And I was answered in my understanding, it lasts and always shall, for God loves it. And so all things have being through the love of God. In this little thing, I saw three properties. The first is that God made it. The second, that God loves it. And the third, that God keeps it. So Julian, in 1342, saw the entire created universe captured in a simple hazelnut. She saw that everything exists and is sustained because God loves it. God made it, God loves it, God keeps it. At the beginning of the story that we live in, the one that we heard earlier from the book of Genesis, there are trees, maybe hazelnut trees. God planted a garden in Eden, and that's where he put the person that, he, that she'd just made up. She made all kinds of trees, beautiful to look at, good to eat from. One was called the Tree of Life. And as well as being on the first page of the Bible, it turns up again on the last page. This time it's in a different garden called Paradise. And if you walk over to the chancel there and you look up, you'll see a verse painted high up on the wall, a verse from Revelation which reads, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. And you and I, we are the leaves of the tree of life. And in fact, there's hundreds and hundreds of little leaves painted on that chancel from a long time ago when people wrote on those tiny leaves, people they were concerned about, people they were inspired by, people they were praying for. And that's why this, the, the, the leaves you've been given today are a continuation of that because they'll be on the new altar cloth which will sit underneath that. The tree of life turns up in many ancient wisdom traditions. In our modern industrialized world, we take trees for granted as a resource, but recently we've become conscious of them in a different way. For example, how without them we wouldn't exist. We watch forests being cleared or we see fires burning them down and we fear for the world that we now understand as an ecosystem, a place where all things depend on all other things. Humans did once know this, but we forgot. Trees, on the other hand, never forgot. And we know this because in recent decades, science has revealed trees are part of something called the wood wide web, a social network of plants. A forest, for example, is not a huge company of individual trees, but one remarkable superorganism. And what we're learning is that trees look after each other for the common good. Somehow they care for each other. And so we think the life of trees might show the life of humans a lesson or two. This year's Pulitzer Prize for Literature went to a novel called The Overstory, which describes the world of trees, a world which is vast, slow, interconnected, resourceful, magnificently inventive, and almost invisible to us because we don't notice it. And this is what the, the author, Richard Powers, says. This is not our world with trees in it. It's a world of trees where humans have just arrived. In the story, 
a group of people come to understand how related that we all are to trees and how we must rebel against their extinction. And one of the young activists working to stop the clearing of another ancient forest reminded me of Dorothy Stang. Where's Dorothy? Here she is. Now, Sister Dorothy Stang was a nun who lived among the poorest people in Brazil's Amazon basin. She stood up for the local people and the forest that they lived in. She ran schools for children and she studied Brazilian law to support people trying to stop corporations who wanted to own the Amazon. People threatened to kill her, but she wouldn't be silenced. She wouldn't abandon the local farmers who, she said, want to live with dignity while respecting their environment. And then she said this, which should go in the next edition of the Bible. The death of the forest is the end of our lives. The death of the forest is the end of our lives. In February 2005, Dorothy was walking alone in the jungle, as she often did, when three gunmen came out of the bushes. She had her Bible, and she started reading the Beatitudes to them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. She was shot dead at 73 years of age. Some people call Sister Dot the patron saint of Extinction Rebellion. At Sister Dot's funeral, one local man stood up and he said this, which should also go in the next edition of the Bible. Sister Dot, we are not burying you, we are planting you. Isn't that incredible? <clears throat> Thank you, Sister Dot. You knew something that we didn't know, that we need to know, something that Julian in Norwich also knew. There are two modes of being in the life of faith, action and contemplation, protest and prayer, doing and being. Sister Dot's action sprang from her prayer. It was her quiet that guided her noise. Now, a bunch of us were gardening outside in the summer, and I'd mentioned to Norman, who's normally here, but he's not today, he's obviously having a lie-in, that I'd been reading a novel called Lanny, which is about the ancient folklorish figure of the green man, and how the green man is present in many ancient church buildings. We've got one here, said Norman, to my surprise. And he walked me around to what was once the North Isle and pointed out to me this image. The round head of a man with shoots and leaves coming out of his mouth and covering his face, and maybe grapes under his chin. You'll have to have a closer look. Um, I was going to suggest Norman could introduce you, but I'm sure you can find it. The green man, carved in wood or stone, turns up in churches and chapels across these islands and in parts of Europe. It goes right back to the fourth century. It's a face appearing out of foliage, perhaps with a leafy beard or shoots from the mouth or the eyes. You can easily miss the face for the vegetation. In the 12th century, 200 years before Julian of Norwich, a woman called Hildegard in Germany called Jesus a green man. Here's Hildegard with a bit of foliage. She was a nun who pictured God as the greening power. She compared the sap in a tree to the Holy Spirit at, at work in each of us. And she called Jesus a green man as if he irrigates our souls with living water. Hildegard and Julian were medieval mystics who followed what is today known as creation spirituality. This is a green theology which finds a holy friendship between the people and the planet, a way of seeing how nature mediates the divine to us. There's an American priest called Matthew Fox, and he's developed this creation spirituality in modern times. And he says, when Jesus taught us to love our neighbor, 
he was also inviting us to love our neighbors, the trees, the animals, the birds, the rivers, the ocean, the forests. The stories of Jesus feature fig trees and mustard seeds and vineyards, good soil and stony ground. He found God in the ordinary life of the natural world of seed time and harvest. The earliest Christians talked of two books of Revelation. One book was the Bible, and the other was the book of nature. Creation, said Anthony of Egypt in the fourth century, declares in a loud voice its maker. Maximus, in the seventh century, put it more vividly, the whole world, he said, is a cosmic liturgy. I love that. A cosmic liturgy. As if in every moment of every day on this sacred globe, we're in a mystical drama in which God reveals herself. Human beings, he said, are bound by their very nature to the whole of creation. Everything is connected. The world is a sacrament mediating the presence of the divine. This is why um, Fyodor Dostoevsky, in his famous novel, The Brothers Karamazov, can write, love all God's creation, the whole of it, every grain of sand, love every leaf, every ray of God's light, love the animals, love the plants, love everything. If you love everything, you will perceive the divine mystery in things. If we see God in a hazelnut or in a tree on the street, it transforms how we live our lives. If we see our world and all its creatures, every forest and tree, as a book of God, revealing the divine on every page, we find ourselves in a new story where all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. If our work for climate justice springs from prayer, then it will also be rooted in love as we begin to understand how we are all part of a cosmic liturgy, how the world, like the hazelnut, is a sacred place. And as Lady Julian put it, God made it, God loves it, God keeps it. So I dare you today to hug a tree. And remember that poem we heard earlier. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, a tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. Amen. <laughs>